What would you say if a surgeon came and told you, hey, I've done a lot of surgeries, but I actually don't know what a scalpel is? Or what would you say if a police officer said, I, I, I am a great police officer, I love law enforcement, but this one, this one thing about me is I really don't know what a gun is and I don't really understand what law is or how it works in a society. Or what if there's a teacher who says, I love teaching, I'm a great teacher and I love doing what I do. I really just don't know how to read and how to write. Now, obviously, at that point, you'd be thinking this person is insane and the people who hire them must be insane because how can you hire somebody to do a job that they don't even understand the very basic fundamental premises of doing the job? They don't understand the basic functionality functionalities of doing the job that they are claiming that they are doing so well or claiming that they desire to do. And you would be right to be thinking that. But in the world that we're living in today, even more serious crimes regarding a pastor who doesn't know, know the gospel is accepted and widely praised because we're living in the time that Paul wrote about in, in Timothy when he said, perilous times will come when men will be lovers of themselves. Uh, they will hate God, they'll hate the truth, and they'll just want to do their own thing. They will want to hear things that tickle their ears and make them feel good about themselves. And one of those things is telling people that the gospel is actually not the gospel or telling people the, go the gospel has nothing to do with death on a cross for sin and it's about something totally different that has nothing to do with what the actual gospel is, but it makes people feel good. It makes the person telling them feel good and it makes the people that are hearing that feel good as well. And we have a textbook example of that with a guy on Twitter who calls himself a pastor, Dr. Kevin Young. In his bio, he says he's a pastor, an author, a lifter, a consultant, certified personal trainer, doctor, early church faith formation, a post-evangelical. And then he has his pronouns, he, him, rev. And of course, um, obviously with those, that's kind of a tell that you can tell what this guy is, but no, nothing else really bothers me that much other than him calling himself a pastor, because by definition, you are somebody who oversees the souls of people who will die one day and have to stand before God and give an account for their lives. Now, we all we all will have to stand up before God on our own account. We're not going to have our pastor being our advocate or our mother or our father. We're going to have to stand trial for our own sins. But the Bible does make clear that pastors will be held to a higher standard. James says, don't become teachers because many of you will face, because teachers will face a greater uh, condemnation, they have a stricter judgment. The more you know, the more you'll be held accountable for. And obviously as a pastor, when you're put in that position of authority or when you put yourself there as an authority, you are asking more scrutiny from, from God. And that should be a frightening thing for anybody who calls himself a pastor. So let's jump into what he wrote on Twitter regarding the gospel. And we will discuss and kind of go through based on the scripture, what he has to say regarding what the gospel is or what it isn't. So he starts, he starts off by saying penal substitutionary atonement is not the gospel. Christ's work was an expiation, remove, clean, not a propitiation, appease, or placate. His work was and is a redemptive, restor restorative work for humanity, not an appeasement of an angry God whose wrath had to be pacified through the brutal death of all, which he focused on his own son. PSA, which is penal substitutionary atonement, does not fit the language, context, or historical understandings of Romans 3, 23 to 25, 2 Timothy 1, 10, 1 Corinthians 15, 15, 55 to 57, Ephesians 1, 7, John 1, 7, or especially the off taken out of context. Isaiah 53, and he continues and ends uh, by saying the gospel or translated the good news has always been the same. Jesus began his ministry, Luke 4, 14 to 30, by proclaiming Isaiah 61, not Isaiah 53. 
He then spent the entirety of his ministry living out the call to bring good news to poor people, heal those with a sad heart, tell those who are being held and those in prison that they can go free. Now, if your head didn't explode, we're going to continue and try to discuss what he has to say and, and where he's getting his arguments from. And I think we'll start with the first phrase where he says, PSA is not the gospel, which is penal substitutionary atonement is not the gospel. Now, again, we're going to let the scriptures talk. The scriptures are the final authority, not me, not you, not Dr. Young. The Bible is the final authority. So we're going to go to the Bible. First Corinthians 15, one through four. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein ye stand, by which also you are saved. If you keep in memory that what, what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. So Paul is saying, this is what I have. This is the gospel that I'm getting ready to share with you. This is what this is how you are saying. This is how you stand. And this is if you are truly keeping this and holding on to this, then you are showing yourself to be a true, a true believer, unless you have believed in vain, which many obviously, sadly, like this guy, Dr. Kevin Young ha has done, if he if he ever did at any point. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. I mean, honestly, sometimes in the Bible, obviously, there are certain passages that are hard to understand. But when it comes to the central message of the whole scripture of the whole world, why we exist, the gospel itself, Paul is telling us right here in First Corinthians 15, 3, the gospel, first of all, as of first importance. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. I mean, penal substitutionary atonement. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 says. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, God, we have to remember that God didn't just forgive us. When we, when, we, when we became Christians, he didn't just forgive us without accepting penalty for the sin. He can't, he can't overlook sin. The Bible says that very clearly in the Old Testament, he will by no means clear the guilty. So he had to have a payment for the sin for in order for us to be forgiven or else we would have we, we, we would be the ones that would have to suffer the eternal conscious torment. So Christ came into the world to die for our sins and bring us everlasting life to rescue us from the wrath of God. So for him to come out, for Dr. Yarn to come out and say that penal substitutionary atonement is not the gospel. Paul would literally be like, then what is this guy talking about? He has no idea what he's what he's saying. And to call himself a pastor is to show himself that he clearly doesn't know what the ministry of being a pastor is. It is to be in gospel ministry. And if you don't understand the gospel, you're like a, a surgeon who doesn't know, doesn't know what a scalpel is. You're like a police officer who doesn't know the law and doesn't know what a gun is or like a teacher who can't read and write. I mean, you're just it's almost like how can you even exist in that kind of mindset where you are? contradicting the very thing that you ought to be doing as you're living as you're how is it it just doesn't make any sense he says christ's work was an expiation not a propitiation so he is right that christ's work was an expiation and we see that uh, uh the definition for expiation according to marion webster is the act of extinguishing the guilt incurred by it, make amends for or put an end to it and that's what jesus did he put it an end to our guilt we are no longer guilty we are free if the sun sets you free you are free indeed uh so once you become a Christian, you are free from any guilt. You're not guilty of any sin anymore because God God has taken it, taken it away through Christ. So his death on the cross was an expiation. It removed, it cleansed us, and it removed any guilt that we would uh, be held uh, held by and, and justly go to hell for if 
uh, if we didn't have our sins expiated, cleansed, removed from our from our person. However, when he says that Christ's work was not a propitiation to which means to appease or placate, which he puts in the definition there, as you can see, that's where again he goes off the rails because we see in First John two two, the little word propitiation is used. First John two two it says. Uh, and he, we'll start at verse one. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he goes on to say, and he, meaning Christ, is a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So it literally says propitiation. Helasmas is a Greek uh, pronunciation, the Greek word for that. But it literally says propitiation, the satisfaction. And I can even double click in it and see it in my uh, pocket lexicon for the Greek New Testament. It says, Helasmas, a, a propitiation of an angry God. So for him to come out and say that it's not a propitiation, he doesn't understand who, he doesn't know who God is. He doesn't understand who he is dealing with as a holy God who is just and righteous and pure and must punish sin because he's holy, he's righteous, and he cannot allow people to get away from to get away uh, with sin because he knows who he is as God. He's he's not a God who says I'm holy and righteous and just, but also I'm going to overlook sin. So, you know, do whatever you want. I'm going to love you anyway, and you know, just live your life, and you'll be happy, and 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 that's what I'm here for. No, God knows who he is. He's holy. He's righteous. He's just, and he cannot not punish sin. If I can say it that way. But Dr. Young goes on in his tweet here, and he says his work was and is a redemptive, restorative work for humanity, which is true. Christ's work was a redemptive work. Galatians 3, 13 says Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is, for it is written, curse is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So yeah, Christ's work was a redemptive work. It redeemed us from the curse of the law, brought us out from under that curse, and, and brought us unto a state of blessing from God because of what Christ did on the cross and dying for our sins and removing the curse from us, the curse for the law, which we all were guilty of breaking. And his work also is a restorative work for humanity because, because of sin and death, or because of sin, death came into the world and death has spread to everything, not just human beings, but to the creation itself. And we see that that is, uh, we see the effects of that in Romans when Paul was writing to the Romans regarding what the gospel is. The whole book is about the gospel, which I'm not sure if Dr. Young has read, but it seems like he has, but clearly he doesn't understand it. But in Romans 8, verses 18 to 23, Paul writes and says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which also, which have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. So even though we are saved, justified and cleansed and made right with God now, we're still living in an earthly body, a, a world that is still corrupted and burdened by sin. And even the creation, 
you see it in, 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 in creation. You see animals killing one another and, and being sickened and being diseased and, and just a lot of suffering in the world, not just in the human world, but the, in the animal world as well. And so because of sin and the sin of Adam spread through everything, the plant life, animal life, everywhere you see in the world, everywhere you go in the world, there will be death because of because of the sin of men. So Christ's work was a redemptive work and a restorative work. And at one at one point in the future, he will redeem everything and there will be no more sin, no more sickness, no more death and no animals will die. And I think it's kind of a. That verse kind of tells you that there will be animals in heaven. So will you, will you see your dog in heaven? I don't know if you'll see your own personal dog, but you probably will see dogs there that are that will that can never die and that will always be healthy. And I think it'll be a, just a magnificent place to be that will be without sin. And you'll always be able to be with the Lord and, and to see and experience his his glorious reality and, and spend time with him and your other brothers and sisters. If, if obviously, if if you're in Christ and so. Christ's death was redemptive. It was restorative. So he is right about that. But then he says, it's not an appeasement of an angry God, which again, like if the, this is textbook gospel, like the whole point of Christ coming into the world was because God is angry with sinners. Psalm seven eleven says God is angry with the wicked every day. And John three thirty six, Jesus says, or John writes, I should say, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Romans 2, 5. Again, this guy is saying that Jesus didn't die to appease the wrath of God. Romans 2, 5. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So the more you sin, the more you continue to resist and, and to rebel against repenting and putting your trust in Christ, you're just stacking more and more wrath from God against yourself. I mean, the Bible's clear on that. Romans 2, 5 says that. There's more passages that say that. Ephesians 5, 1 through 6. It says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And here's the point, verse 6, let no man deceive you with vain words. And this is exactly about dr young let no man deceive you with vain words for because of these things cometh the wrath of god upon the children of disobedience of so god is angry with people who disobey people who engage in foolish talking and filthiness and jesting people who engage in fornication or covetousness or unclean living or promiscuity all these people the bible is clear the wrath of God abides on them. The wrath of God is coming upon them, has come upon them, and finally will come upon them in the eternal state where they are suffering for their sin eternally. So he's just dead wrong when he says it's not an appeasement of an angry God. And just for good measure, First First Thessalonians 1, verses 9 through 10, it says, For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom we, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, 
which delivered us from the wrath to come. Again, it couldn't be more clear. The wrath from God that is coming, the final wrath, the hellish wrath that is coming, Jesus came into the world to deliver us from, to deliver us, to appease God, God's wrath against us who have been granted faith to believe in Christ. So let's continue with Dr. Young's tweet. He says, not, not in appeasement of an angry God, whose wrath had to be pacified through the brutal death of all, which he focused on his own son. And then he says, penal substitutionary atonement does not fit the language, context, or historical understandings of Romans 3, 23, 25. And then he lists the verses there, which, again, I mean, it just, it, it just boggles the mind how somebody can call himself a pastor and the very reason of being a pastor, of sharing the gospel, being in gospel ministry, pointing people to Christ for their sa the savior of their souls. And he doesn't understand why Christ came into the world and what the gospel is about. But he, he, but he quote, he mentions Romans 3, 23 to 25, which says, for all have sinned, which means rebelled against God's law, missed the mark of perfection and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in, his, that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation, which there's that word again, through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. Again, I think it's pretty clear if we all sin and the wages of sin is death, which is a punishment for sin, then our only way to escape is if we have a worthy substitute. A dog or a cat or a monkey would not cut it because they're not human. That's why Jesus had to come into the world as a man. He was a worthy substitute for human beings uh, because of his incarnation, because of his, his manhood. Verse 25 says, God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, which is a violent death. Jesus suffered and, and died a violent death because of the sin of all who would ever believe in him. And a, a simple analogy would be if you knew of a guy, which I know in this culture, we are anti-capital punishment. But if you if you knew of a guy who killed raped, molested several children. And the punishment was, we'll just, you know, literally just give him a tap on the wrist and say, please don't do that again and send him back out. Most people, I say most because there are people that probably would think it's okay. Most people would say that punishment did not fit the crime at all. Not even close. And so for Jesus to come into the world to die for all the sin of all those who would ever believe in him, it had to be a violent death. It had to be something that was horrific and grotesque and, and, and extremely brutal because that's how terrible sin is. It's, it's wicked, it's dirty, and it's, it's a horrific thing to engage in because of the wages of it, which leads to death, which leads to God's wrath abiding on you, which leads to eternal conscious torment and fire, as the Bible makes clear of what that is. So it's a it's a terrible death and it's a terrible thing that that happened to Christ, but also a wonderful thing because it was the salvation of all who would ever believe it. It was a way to glorify the Father and showing his just wrath against sin and showing his mercy and grace and love extended to those who would believe and trust in Christ. He also Dr. Young mentioned Second Timothy one ten regarding how uh, the context is understood and it doesn't mean that it's talking about wrath or appeasing God or any, or any such thing. But second Timothy one ten says, but now is made manifest by the appearing of our savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Christ abolished death and brought life. 
How else could he have accomplished or how how else could could he have abolished death for sinners who deserved it without compromising God's justice? And if you read Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. It says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. So just as we are engaged in living in bodies full of flesh and blood, we take part in the same that that through death. He that is talking about Jesus might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them, deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a faithful, a merciful, faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people for in that he himself has suffered being tempted he, he is able to succor them that are tempted so he's able to save us to redeem us to, to strengthen us and bring us out of temptation because he was able to do it himself as he was uh, a man here on earth living under the conditions that we're living under yet without sin never violating god's law within his mind or with with his with his actions or with his words he goes on to talk about first Corinthians 15, 55 to 57. And again, he is trying to deny the fact that God is a God of wrath. God is a God of justice. God is a God who must punish sin. And again, this is somebody who does not understand the gospel and refuses to preach the true gospel because he himself is obviously not born again. But let's continue more with his tweet. He says the gospel or translated the good news has always been the same. And I would agree. The gospel has always been the same. It's believing in Christ for the salvation of your soul, knowing that Christ died for our sin. Uh, that's why Paul quote, quotes uh, Genesis where he says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. That was justification by faith in Christ. Now, he didn't. Use, uh, obviously, uh, Abraham didn't know Christ or didn't know Jesus as far as um face to face or had an interaction with him yet jesus said he rejoiced to see my day because i think abraham had uh christophany or a theophany uh, a pre uh, meeting with with christ uh in the old testament and so abraham was able to believe in god and god was able to justify him by faith because he was believing in god and obviously jesus is god and though he didn't use the name jesus it was still the same God that he was believing in for salvation. So he says, Jesus began his ministry by proclaiming Isaiah 61, not Isaiah 53, which again, it's in first in Mark 1 15, Jesus began his ministry by saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. So he began his ministry by saying, repent and believe the gospel. Isaiah 53 talks about how Christ died for the sins of his people. We go read it again. It's sometimes or not, I would not, I would say most times it helps unless you are very familiar with the passage. When somebody's quoting something, go read it for yourself and find out what it says and see if what they're saying is, is jiving with what the, what the Bible is saying uh, on its own. So Isaiah 53, which you could say is the first gospel in the Old Testament. Starting at verse 4, it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs, talking, talking about Messiah, the suffering servant. 
and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded. There's that physical, violent attack on his on his physical on his physical body. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. So that's our sin, our wicked doing, our law breaking. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He was beaten. He was whipped for our sake, so that we would be become righteous in the eyes of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So that, there's imputation. Again, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, so he was di he died. He was killed. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. There's that word again. Again, he broke. We broke God's law. He did. He didn't. So this this verse, uh, these passages don't ever talk about how he was killed for his own transgression or he was uh, attacked for his own iniquity. It was always because of the iniquity for his people. Uh, it goes on to say, and he, was made, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. And because he had done no violence, neither was deceit in his mouth, never lied, never physically assaulted somebody, never did anything that was sinful in the eyes of God. Yet, how could God, how could it be, how could it be pleasing to the Lord? Again, we're going to compare his words, Dr. Young's words with the Bible. He said, not an appeasement of an angry God whose wrath had to be pacified through the brutal death of all, which he focused on his own son. Well, Isaiah 53, 10 says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many there's justification by faith in christ for he shall bear their iniquity so how, how are we justified how we how are we made right before god and that happens only through the death of jesus christ so i think paul really had it right when he said let no man deceive you with vain words for because of these things or because of these things the wrath of god comes upon the children of disobedience so don't fall victim don't fall into deception from people who would tell you things other than what the scripture says. Don't fall victim to those who would try to move you away from the reason of the gospel, the reason why Christ came into the world, the reason why he suffered and died on the cross was to save us from the wrath of God. Because God is a holy God, he's a righteous, a righteous God, and he's also the perfect judge who will punish all those who refuse to repent and put their trust in Christ and he will punish them for an eternity. Not because uh, he's mean and nasty and, vindic and vindictive, but it's because he's holy, he's righteous and he's just and he must punish sin. A good judge punishes evil. A good judge punishes the wicked. A good judge does not let the wicked go free and God will not do that, uh, ultimately speaking, when they have their day in court before him. So. Again, stay on your guard, stay on your scripture, continue to read the word for yourself, and don't be fooled by men and women who would tell you otherwise than what the scripture has clearly revealed, especially about the gospel. Mm -hmm.